and you're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and we are doing a live interview today. I'm Kim, and I'm in the studio with Dr. Carl Burns, a UNE lecturer, with his friend John Lemons, the koala expert. I wouldn't go that far, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to tell us a little bit about yourselves how did you get into the koala and the bushfire research uh well my my research uh goes back to my phd when it comes to bushfires i actually lit experimental fires back during my phd to look at the impacts of uh yeah um which um you know which which has its challenges but uh yeah look at the impacts of fire on on wildlife but um uh, so my history goes back that far. Um, with koalas, you know, I've really just teamed up with John here recently, so I'm going to let him t- say more about koalas. Um, Kim, I've sort of been tied up with koalas in on-ground research since uh, probably 2008. Uh, lived in the Gunnedah area as a <coughs> farmer and a research centre manager, uh, and sort of koalas came across uh, the Gunnedah Basin in the early 80s in numbers, and then... Um, but then I teed up in 2007, uh, teed up with an old friend, uh, Dr. Dan Lunny, and uh, he's uh, done, he is the koala expert. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I volunteered the area and my relationships with farmers to kick off a, a three-year study, uh, which went from 2008 to 2011. And then um, in 2015, I relocated to Armidale, and as a result, um, I was, cons- well, not so much concerned, but I... The impact of koalas uh, during heat waves and droughts have been pretty dramatic in the Gunnedah Basin. And um, when I came up here, you could see that it was a potential koala refugia area. But then this ongoing drought and the bushfires, they're doing it pretty tough. Yeah. Um, so my question is, like, how are we basically getting these numbers of how many koalas are being injured in the bushfires? Like, how do we track that? That's a good question, <laughs> and uh, that, that takes time, uh, funding, and uh, people with expertise. Yeah, and I think right now, Kim, we don't know. That's the, that's, yeah. that's the yeah. answer. Um, you know, there's been hundreds of koalas presenting to koala hospitals um, around the state, down, down at Port Macquarie and, and Coffs Harbour and other places, so we know that there are hundreds of animals impacted, but um, that probably means there are thousands, but we, we really don't know, know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, so what challenges are the koalas facing post-bushfire, would you say? Well, we tag-team this one. You you go first, Carl. Well, um, you know, the things that spring to mind, of course, uh, well, I've just been out in some of these forests um, in the last two days and seeing um, where there's been very hot fires, there's no leaves left on some of the trees, and and even where there has been uh, less intense fires, you do get uh, scorching of the canopy from the radiant heat that rises up and, and kills the leaves, the leaves fall, and then the tree has to put out new leaves. So... You know, the thing that struck me when I was out there is that there is absolutely no food um, in the trees or on the ground uh, yeah. for other animals as well. Um, so that's that's one issue. Um, tag team, John, over to you. Yeah. Well, the other issue too is the ongoing drought. Um, yeah. I was talking to Denise Friedman yesterday. She's a koala care at Urala, and um, an area where she's been collecting browse leaves for koalas that she rescues and looks after. Uh, those trees are dead. They've died during the drought. No fires, just the drought. I've got two koalas with GPS tracking collars on uh, just north of uh, Armidale uh, near um, uh, Sunnyside Reserve or TSR. And I've since I've been going out there 
uh, earlier this year, uh, from about um, September uh, until now, trees have started to die. Some of those trees, I'd estimate, are about in excess of 200 years old. So, and the last time I saw a koala, the koala out there was last week when I when I went out with a uni student, and um, the tree that she was in has slowly started to die. So, the immediate impact of the drought on browse trees is just horrendous, and I we're in uncharted territory. Yeah. yeah, and that's an important point that it's not just fire, um, it's the ongoing drought that, you know, if you look up onto Mount Deval, um, and I, you know, an iconic kind of mountain that all um, um, people in Armadale know, um, you see brown canopy, you're seeing trees actually dying and, and we don't really know whether they're going to die for good or they're going to come back because, like John said, we're in uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, so how do you think we will try to increase the population of wildlife and koala bears after the bushfires, you reckon? Well, you'll get into lots of trouble calling them koala bears. Oh, <laughs> 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 no, no, they are just koalas. Yeah. Um, look, uh, something I've been involved in over well, since over a period of about 30 years is what I call habitat reconstruction. Yeah. Um, just at Easter, I planted another 540 uh, trees which added to about 14 hectares on a landholder's property down at Gunnedah. Um, most fa- farmers have got areas which they aren't terribly productive when it comes to either grain or, or grazing capability. Um, so I, I encourage farmers and landholders, and now's obviously not the time to do it because this is a process that you've got to build up moisture over a 12 month period. But I encourage them to either uh, fence out, you know, sort of uh, areas so that they can regenerate and also to consider, you know, re-establishing habitat uh, or to add to existing habitat. And long term, and a lot of, and this farmer in particular, every few years he adds to that that area. And it's just completely changed what was a bare hill and and a red-brown earth, sandy, horrible paddock. Uh, to a whole biodiverse uh, little microhabitat on his property. Yeah, and koalas, um, you know, they're resilient. They can live in, in modified landscapes. They can live in farmland with trees, but they can't live in bare paddocks um, and they can't live uh, in places where the trees are, are, are dying or dead. Um, so, yeah, planting uh, the appropriate trees, getting vegetation back in the landscape because... Up until now, one of the one of the big issues for koalas wasn't, you know, up now it's climate change, it's drought, it's fire uh, that we're all talking about. But there's been a slow uh, eating away of their habitat by land clearing, and that's been a huge issue for koalas up up to the present time. Okay. Um, so another question I have is, what is the difference between the bushfires here versus the bushfires in the states? I don't know. Um, well, the, let's talk about the similarities. The similarities yeah. is the fire frequency is increasing um, and the bushfires are getting more intense, and that seems to be the case both here and in the US. Our fire season is um, beginning much earlier. In the States, their fire season is extending much later into the, into, towards beyond the end of their, what would normally be the end of their season. And so now we're seeing um, crossover of, um, of fires in the northern and summer, summer hemisphere in terms of timing, which we've never seen before. So we're getting more intense fires, longer f- fire seasons. Um, so uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the differences are, but there's certainly a lot of similarities. John, do you have any intel there? Uh, no, not really, Carl. Um, I guess the, you know, the frightening thing, and <clears throat> I, I was 
born in 1951. And when I was born in 1951, there were roughly two and a half billion people on this planet. And now there are seven and a half billion. And that population continues to grow. As a result, there's more demand on the Earth's resources um, and more emissions and more drawdown on, on the capacity that the Earth can afford to carry. And um, I, I'm not being, I'm being a realist, an, an optimistic realist, but it's just, I, I don't know where, where the end point is. It's, um, it's very concerning. And, uh, you know, all we can do as individuals, I mean, it, it needs to be acted upon globally, but all we can do as individuals is the best that we possibly can and uh, with what we have and be considerate to the environment. Sorry, that sounds like a speech. <laughs> and it's a bit serious, but you know, I've got four grandchildren, and yeah. yeah, you sort of yeah, you wonder where it's all headed. Yeah, I guess that's the main question: is like after the drought and the fires are gone, like what is the next step to, I guess, rebuild their habitat? Mm. Well, we certainly know enough about koalas to know what they need um, and what's what's good for them, what's bad for them. Um, so, I think it. Ca- I th- you know, I've read something today that said koalas, this claims that koalas are functionally extinct. I don't think that's the case because that's when you're down to the last of your species. And yeah. we're not there with koalas yet, but there could come a time when we are. Um, but we know what we need to do. We know about revegetating. We know about um, uh, what we need to do to, to, to try and um, curb the changes to the planet with climate change and emission reduction. We, we, know, we know what we need to do. Can we do it? That's that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> There's something. Look, I'll, I'll add something to that too. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, in in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, in the Piliga, there were <clears throat> estimates anywhere between six and twelve thousand koalas in that area. Um, you know, but roughly there were some thousands. <clears throat> from about um, just recently, there was a survey done, and they couldn't find any. So in the 80s, koalas started to transition we think from the Piliga into the Gunnedah Basin. Uh, <clears throat> during that three-year study that I did with Dr Dan Lunny and other researchers uh, we had two heat waves at the end of a prolonged drought in 2009 and if any of you listeners are interested they can just uh, google koala heat wave it's a catalyst ABC catalyst did a, uh, a story on it. it just runs for six minutes but during that heat wave, at the end of two heat waves, consecutive heat waves, we estimate, because we had koalas with GPS tracking collars, we estimate that um, we lost 25% of the population. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, and that's a decade, uh, most researchers agree that there's been a loss of about 50%. I actually think it's higher in the Gunnedah Basin. I think it's trending more above 70 or 75%. We don't know, mm-hmm. but we have a fair idea. The other thing is that I think just like my wife and I, we relocated to Armadale because of the cooler climate, although you wouldn't believe it today. <laughs> so, but, sure. um, but I also think koalas are doing, doing that and other wildlife are, are yeah. you know, sort of heading from west to the east where it's cooler. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think the Tablelands is a really important uh, geographic part of our state because, you know, it is cooler. It's at least five to seven degrees cooler in the summer normally. Uh, so, and it gets more rainfall normally. At what's normal <laughs> and let's hope this isn't the new normal yeah, yeah. anyway yeah and and to put in a plug for the local koala population you know um the population we have on our field station the une field station at mount yeah. devel new home is a really significant one and broadly as john said across the tablelands we have we have an important koala population that um up until now hasn't seemed to have suffered the same impacts perhaps from 
drought, fire, heat waves than other populations have. But, you know, what's normal? Uh, we'll leave that um, hanging, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for coming in. And do you have any social media where people can follow you to find out more information? Uh, I'm, I'm at Carl Vaness uh, on um, Twitter. Um, yeah. And I post all things wildlife to that, so okay. uh, follow me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a social media, uh, how can I say, fugitive. I, <laughs> I, stay, I stay away from it. I've flat out keeping up with my emails and uh, other stuff. But um, uh, there's a colleague I work with, uh, Dave Carr. Uh, he's uh, Stringy Bark Ecological. And yep. um, he, you know, sort of he's been involved in a lot of this research, plus other on-ground works. And uh, so uh, if people Google him, they'll probably find... Uh, find that too yeah okay thank you for coming in today and we will be putting this up on our website with a blog post later so if anyone has missed this you can listen to it later on okay look thanks uh, kim it's uh, been a pleasure to be able to contribute yeah, thank thanks, you kim.